Welcome to episode 18 of Calling All Communicators, a podcast where industry professionals and academics discuss all things communication. I'm Zach. And I'm Cindy. And today we're going to be joined by Carrie Tushoff, who is the founder and director of Hypno Babies, Hypno Birthing, Childbirth Education. Yeah, this was a this was a pretty awesome episode. I have to say, I'm I'm not the most well educated when it comes to childbirth, so this was pretty helpful for me. I, it was pretty eye opening. I'll say that. Yeah, and I told Carrie when we were uh, recording this, I was like. I wish I'd had you when my kids were born. <laughs> yeah, right. It like it could have been a much better experience. Yeah, there were so many things I hadn't thought about. So, um, first of all, with Carrie, we talked a lot about hypnotic birthing, obviously, right, and kind of what that's all about. But overall, we more just talked about the state of like women giving birth right now and what's going on right now in the childbirth community, if you will. Right. You know, a couple things that she said that stood out to me can't apply to anybody, though, whether or not you're giving birth or you're going in for a root canal, mm -hmm. uh, is that, number one, you're always in charge of your own body, that yep. you don't have to just say, okay, the doctor said this, then that's the way it has to be. Um, and the other thing was that it's up to you to be your own advocate for your medical care. Yes. I, both of those things were loud and clear to me throughout this conversation. And of course we always say these things, but I don't really, I don't think we ever talk about how to actually put that in practice. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think that was really good today to actually talk about, well, how do you question a doctor? Right. Because like that might seem weird to do that, but no, we talked about like, you know, proper questions you can ask your doctor and stuff without making them feel you know, bad or anything like that. Right, exactly. I think she had some um, very good tips on how to actually put that into practice for those of us who aren't used to doing that. Yeah, for sure. So with that information, let's go ahead and jump into our interview. Today in the podcast, we're welcoming Carrie Tishoff, who's founder and director of Hypno Babies, hypnobirthing childbirth education. Carrie has loved being a childbirth educator, doula, speaker, and hypnotherapist for over 30 years, teaching families to trust in their minds, bodies, babies, and the process of childbirth is her passion, and hearing healing birth stories is her joy. Educating people who need change and healing about the life-altering benefits of therapeutic hypnosis for many physical, emotional, and financial issues is also paramount to Carrie. So welcome, Carrie. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. I'm super happy to be here. Okay. Well, Carrie, the first thing we generally ask people is how you got into communication. You know, this is a little bit different for you since you were not, quote, in the communication field. But Zach and I believe that communication is important part of every profession and everyone's life. So we believe that everyone needs to achieve, or excuse me, needs to try to get better at it all the time so that, you know, to better their career, to better their personal life and so on. So when I ask you, how do you get into this? What, what do you have to say to that? 
Well, I learned all about communication by becoming a childbirth educator and also by being a pregnant woman giving birth. So um, I had no idea how important it was to communicate what it is that you need and what it is that you want and what it is that is super important to you as a patient of any kind. Mm, And it wasn't until I became a hypnotherapist and childbirth educator that I realized any of that. So that's how I got into it. That's awesome. And I really appreciate that because it seemed like for eons, the woman, the pregnant woman really wasn't, um, she had to do what the doctor said, regardless, the nurse, doctors and nurses, she didn't have a say. Well, you know, um, there are books out there that are written by doctors that fascinate the heck out of me telling what the medical profession is really like. Um, The first one I read was called Complications by Atul Gawande. And in it, he described how we used to have a paternalistic society in medicine where you would just say to the person, whoever that person was, but say they're a pregnant person. Now, don't you worry, sweetheart, you know, patting her little head. Uh, We'll take care of everything. You just come in and you'll have your baby and it'll be fine. And that is no longer the case in medicine at all um, or in obstetrics. So when did when did this change start to happen, uh, do you think, in medicine or specifically, I guess, in childbirth, too? When do you think women started to get more say in what they're able to do? Like, did you was there like one big shift or has it been a little bit more gradual, would you say? The shift came in the 60s where people were they no longer wanted to go in like my mother did when she had her baby and be given what's called scopolamine, which is a um, drug that blocks your memory. (laughs) Um, So what they used to do is they used to tie women down and they would give them scopolamine. So they didn't remember flailing and being in such pain and any of that. And then at the end, they would push and pull the babies out and the mothers would wake up later and the baby was in the nursery. And they didn't remember anything. So they thought they were knocked out. Of Mm. course, you're not going to give general anesthesia, knockout drugs to a pregnant woman, unless you absolutely have to for an emergency C-section. So they just didn't remember it. But of course, their subconscious mind did remember all of the having to lay flat in one position and have all these contractions and all this pain and then have the baby pushed and pulled out of them and taken away immediately. Their subconscious knows all of that. So at some point after the fifties ended and the sixties started and people wanted things more natural, you know, yes, they called them hippies, but they were basically progressive people who wanted a different way in all areas of their lives. So in obstetrics or in birthing, maternity care, they started saying, no, first of all, I want my husband in here with me, which was a big no-no. And people who they were calling security on 
over and over again. And it, it started out to be a dozen people. Then it was a hundred people. Then it was a thousand people uh, where they were dragging the birth partners out, dragging the husbands out and <clears throat> saying, you cannot be in here. And when they finally realized that this was not going away, things started to change. And women were saying, I don't want to be knocked out, quote unquote, I want to have my baby naturally. And that meant unmedicated and uninterrupted. And so there was a whole trend on that where they started to realize that then they also had choices. Um, they also didn't want to be patted on the head and told, it's okay, honey, we'll take care of it. And that started a real trend uh, in medicine. And so now everybody, almost everybody knows. And of course, this is a big part of what I teach in hypnobabies. This is super important for any patient to know right here. You are always in charge. You are 100% in charge before, during, and after whatever medical treatment or procedure it is that you have to have. And that includes dental treatment or any kind of medical treatment. You are 100% in charge. So we teach our students when you're pregnant, when you're birthing, when you're in your postpartum period and for your baby's care, you get to make all those decisions. And even to this day, it surprises people that they can walk in and say, this is how I want it. And we teach them of course, in the absence of complications, to make a birth plan that says, in the absence of complications, this is what we want. And mm. they have researched these things. So maybe they don't want an automatic IV, you know, because not everybody needs, you know, this extra fluid flowing through their veins that is actually changing the chemistry in their body at the same time. Um, they don't want drugs. They don't want an epidural. They don't want yeah, a lot of stuff. They don't want their waters broken, which does change the course of the birthing. So they get to choose. In pregnancy, they get to choose. Do they want all those tests or do they just want some? After they their baby has been born, you know, do they want this, that, or the other thing for their baby? They get to choose all of that. And they are usually quite unaware of this. So um, it is important that they learn to communicate their needs and any, any medical uh, patient at all, whether you're going in to get a mole removed, a heart transplant, or have a baby has these choices and needs to learn to communicate and ask a lot of questions. So I love that, by the way, because I think so many people don't realize that they should be in charge of their own bodies when they're going through something. How, what is your best tip or advice to give to people who aren't there yet, don't necessarily have never advocated for themselves like this? How do they go about learning to do that? So one thing to do is to remember that there's something called active listening. And that is, um, it's, it's also called appreciative listening. And that means that whoever you are talking to, 
you listen to them completely and without thinking in your mind, this is what I'm going to respond. Because anytime you start thinking, this is what I'm going to respond while they're still talking, you're missing their message. And it's important for you to be respectful to them. Um, what we teach our, I'm going to go step back just for a second. What we teach our students, because most of them give birth in the hospital, is that the nurse that is assigned to them, she's in the middle of a triangle, okay? Uh, she has responsibilities for the birthing couple, the doctor that the birthing couple has hired to be their obstetrician, and the hospital at which they work. So people, couple, pregnant couple, doctor, and hospital in a triangle. And in the middle, she is trying desperately to make everybody happy and keep her job. And that is true for anybody who goes into the hospital. So first of all, be respectful. Second of all, do active listening. So when the nurse comes in and tells you, we're going to do this now, it doesn't necessarily mean we're going to do this. Okay. It means this is what she or he was told is going to happen now. And so be respectful and then start asking questions. We have an acronym. It's BRAINED. B-R-A-I-N-D. The B stands for what are the benefits of this treatment or procedure that you are suggesting. R stands for what are the risks of this treatment or procedure. A stands for what are the alternatives for this treatment or procedure. I is using your intuition, your gut feeling about how this works into your plan. Okay. And then N is um, uh, what are the actual needs of this? Okay. And D is discuss and decide. So after you've asked all the questions, then you say, thank you so much, Nurse Susie or Derek. Um, we will now take 10 or 15 minutes to discuss, you know, together, me and my mother, me and my birth partner, whoever's there with you or just yourself. And we will let you know what our decisions are. So listening to them fully and completely is the active listening part. Then ask the questions and then when you get your answers, and hopefully you will, if they don't answer you, then tell them, could you please go find out the answer to whatever one of those questions are and come back and let us know. And then we will discuss and decide what it is that we want for this particular choice or decision. And so those things are super important for anybody. You need to be your own best health advocate out there, people, that no matter what it is that you are doing, whether it's mental health, whether it's physical health, whether it's dental work, whatever it is, you have to be your own advocate, research everything ahead of time, which is what we teach them to do. We teach our students, our pregnant students to research the things that are important to them. And, you know, ahead of time, so that if the, if, if somebody was to, if they were to say, what are the benefits of having an IV when I don't really need one, <laughs> who's going to come up with benefits? They can try and say, 
Well, just in case something happens, we want to have an IV in place. You know, that's your opportunity to say, well, I researched this. And unless something really happens, then I'm choosing not. So no, thank you. You know, and there are nice ways to say everything. The words no, thank you, or I decline are the most important ones. And if somebody is coming at you and doing things, like if somebody says, we're just going to break your water here. You have to literally put your hand up in the universal stop sign. That's a communication symbol right there and say, no, thank you. I decline because legally then they have to back off. So very important stuff. Hmm. Wow. There's a lot of really uh, good information in there that I wasn't, I guess, super aware of. Um, and there's a lot of things I want to ask. Um, one thing, and this might just be a really dumb question, uh, but you just mentioned it with, uh, the water breaking. And I know that like not everybody's water breaks, right. When they're, when they go into labor and that kind of thing. So like, what is the benefit or disadvantages of having like your water purposely broken then? Like what, oh. what, what makes that a bad thing or what makes that a good thing? Thank you for asking. So only about 10% of women out there have their water break before contractions start. And that is means that's what their body needed. Whatever, you know, nature has a plan, everybody. And we need to respect that in the absence of complications. So when the water is still intact, it acts as a cushion in front of the baby's head. There is a little bubble there. It's called, called the four waters and it protects the baby's head from direct contact on the mother's cervix as it's coming down because the pressure of the head is what helps to dilate the cervix. When the baby's head presses down from the contractions pushing down on its butt, basically uh, from above, it pushes down and helps to dilate the cervix. And so... Um, that that cushion really helps the baby's head uh, to stay as it needs to be, you know, cushioned without a lot of pressure on it. Because when there's a lot of pressure on the baby's head, then those veins in the head can kind of get flattened a little bit and it, it might interfere with the baby's blood flow um, throughout its body. And then also it acts as a cushion. The four waters act as a cushion for your cervix. So if there's not direct pressure, there's a little bubble there. There's not direct pressure. It's actually easier on the birthing person, uh, you know, comfort wise. And so we want the water to be there as long as nature wants the water to be there. However, somewhere along the way, <laughs> um, medicine decided that they were going to do what's called management of labor. And that means that people will come in and everybody gets the basic same treatment. So at five centimeters, your water gets broken. Um, and then there's direct pressure on the cervix and direct pressure on the baby's head. And the powers that be who are doing the breaking of the waters think that that might speed things up. Sometimes it does. 
sometimes it causes problems. Like when the water whooshes out, it whooshes the baby's umbilical cord with it. And all of a sudden it's pressed between the baby's head and the side of the cervix. And we have a medical emergency happening. Mm -hmm. So we don't ever want to risk that. Uh, the baby needs to be far enough down to basically block that from happening. So it covers the cervix with its head and we need to make sure that that happens. So if everybody gets their waters broken at five centimeters and the baby is not low enough for that, then we've got problems. Um, then they start other interventions, you know, having, giving the mom Pitocin to speed things up again, because and I hate to say this, I hate to be, I don't, I don't want to be the person that's negative about hospitals or doctors. So I will just say that it makes sense to save time to basically make more money and to avoid litigation, to do certain things in the medical field that get people in and out faster. <laughs> so that's what, that's where they are working from. All right. And we need to understand that if we're going to have a baby in the hospital or any medical procedure. So having everybody treated the same way just doesn't make any sense. So having everybody have their water broken or having their water broken because we want to speed things up and not because it needs to happen is not good medicine. I hope that answers your question. That, that really does. I really appreciate that. And you even threw in some other information that was helpful because you kind of brought in the uh, the discussion about how it's just basically, yeah, to standardize everything, right? Um, which is really interesting to me. I For some reason, I haven't really thought about that, about how hospitals, they do literally, you know, like standardize everything, which does make sense to an extent, right? Um, but then that also does, you know, not leave the door open a ton for more individualized problems and stuff. So yeah, that's a really interesting uh, problem there. Yeah. Sure yep. <laughs> that's why hypnobabies is a complete childbirth education course, because we don't just teach birth hypnosis and how to use it for pregnancy and birthing and postpartum. We teach everything. <laughs> we teach nutrition, exercise, staying healthy and low risk, all the stages of birthing, um, how to be your own excellent consumer by, you know, researching and we teach them what the benefits and risks and alternatives of all the normal interventions, such as having your water broken are in obstetrics and how to research those, make up their own birth plan and then basically enforce it. And it's important for them to understand that they have the right to do that because you only get to have this baby one time, <laughs> just yeah. once. So uh, you're the one that's going to have to live with the things that happen after that. And when I say that, I mean that certain interventions cause other ones to happen and you could end up with an unnecessary cesarean. And at least half of the cesareans out there right now are unnecessary. Everybody knows that the, if doctors or nurses are watching this, I'm not offending them because they fully understand it. Um, but what, who doesn't know it is the general public. Um, now we're grateful, of course, that cesareans do exist and we're grateful for a lot of different interventions that, you know, exist because they have saved mothers and babies lives. However, when cesareans are created by interventions, then uh, that means that particular person has had major abdominal surgery 
for no reason. And that will affect them and their body for the rest of their lives and their ability to have an unmedicated birth in the future, which is called a VBAC, right. a vaginal birth after cesarean. And many people are now being denied that because oh, of the yeah. medical community's need to um, make more money, save time and avoid litigation. Yeah, I've, so, I've yeah, I've heard that that once you get a C-section, they basically make you get all C-sections from that. Well, up. first of all, no one can make you do anything. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember yep. that yep. you have hired the doctors. Okay, so you can always say no and go with a midwife and they are fully trained birth professionals. Everybody listen to me out there. Um and have your baby. There are people who have been told, for instance, okay, I'm up on a soapbox now. Sorry, folks. Um, <laughs> Feel free. Who have been told with their first baby, well, there's no way you're going to get that baby out of this pelvis. You're going to have to have a C-section. So they have the C-section. Then they learn a whole bunch of things about how if you are supported in your choices, if you prepare properly, and if you use specific wonderful gravity type positions when you're having your baby, you can go on and have that uh, the next baby and the next baby and the next baby and the next baby vaginally. So then they go with the next baby and they hire a midwife, the midwife supports them. And somehow, amazingly, that baby who is bigger, and they always are, second mm. babies are always bigger, bigger, is getting out of that pelvis. How did that happen? It's amazing, folks. <laughs> so yeah. people need to be really smart. And we teach them all that stuff, plus things about postpartum and uh, just everything, mom and new baby care. And all of that is important to have. All of it is super important if you are pregnant, you know, be educated. Right. Well, you mentioned postpartum and that leads me to a question about women uh, communicating with others postpartum as far as how they're feeling and what they might need from others. What kind of suggestions do you have for that? Well, the first thing that we teach our students is um, to basically have a period of time after your baby comes where you and the baby are allowed, I say allowed, to be alone together for a good couple of weeks. And if people want to come over, you can say to them, I will be happy for you to come over and wash my dishes, uh, clean my house and bring food. Because what people want to do when they come over is hold the baby, the baby's so cute. That should not be happening germ-wise for anybody for mm -hmm. a good while. And secondly, people can help you. So have a voice, use your voice, the same voice that you used to tell people what you wanted in your pregnancy and birthing is the voice that you use afterwards to say to people, yes, please come over and help me. I need your help. This is how I need your help. You know, leave food and do my housework. That's <laughs> basically it. Yeah. So why, I guess I'm curious, 
I, and I've heard this from other people as well, so I'm not just calling you out in particular. Um, why is it, would you say it's recommended then to like, just take a few weeks off and not really communicate that much with other people? Um, like, is it a bad, like, even if they're not, let's say that you have like your parents come over and they hang out for like a day or two or something, and but they're not really interacting that much with the baby. Like, what's the, what's the issue there? Is it because you're just not really spending as much time with the baby and giving it your full attention or, um, yeah, like what's the. What's the whole well it optimally it would be best if nobody came over but many mm -hmm. of us need help and in in other societies the women gather around the women and they do all of the helping and all of the stuff and all of the caring and all of the nurturing we don't have that anymore so people do have their parents come or their sisters come uh to visit afterwards and the fewer people that interrupt the mom baby uh bonding time the best because we really do want the new mother to be able to learn how to care for that baby it boosts her confidence it really bonds her with the baby to be able to nurse or bottle feed that baby herself of course other people can do it but the baby has also been inside the mom listening to her heartbeat and her voice for nine months and this is the most comforting that baby can be as well to be up against the mother on her chest, um, you know, in her, in the crook of her arm and hearing her voice. So it's really best for the mom and the baby to be left alone as much as possible. If there is are people there to care for her. Wonderful. Do stuff, make food, clean the house. I like that. Yeah. Hmm. Um, all right. So I kind of want to ask a little bit more about your business. So about hypno babies and about uh, hypnotic birthing in general, because I've heard this term, but I don't necessarily know what it means. And I imagine probably a lot of listeners don't know what it means either, maybe, or maybe I'm the dumb one and I'm just out of the loop. Um, so if you could kind of uh, tell us about that a little bit, that'd be good. Oh, thank you so much, Zach. Um, yeah, so so I just I'll I'll say several things. Well, the first thing is that I created Hypno Babies because of my own two very painful births. I didn't have any tools to really use. I wanted an unmedicated birth in both cases. The first one was 36 hours long, and I ended up having an epidural after 26 hours of it because I had been screaming. So I was really happy to see the anesthesiologist. And now I have a very healthy respect for people who choose epidurals because I totally get it. <laughs> um, with the second birth, it was only seven hours long. I had him in a big tub of water at a freestanding birth center with a midwife. and uh, But it was also very painful. And I decided that even if I never had another child, I was going to create a way for other women to you know, uh, have an easier time if they wanted an, a more holistic, unmedicated experience for their baby's birth. And I did. I went and I learned about hypnosis. I became a hypnotherapist. Um, I learned that there was something called hypnoanesthesia. And people don't realize that there are people out there, and although it's rare, they do exist and they are allergic to medical anesthetics. So they have to have those surgeries, whether it's dental or medical surgery, and they work with a hypnotist ahead of time for months, you know, basically retraining the inner mind so that the surgeon's scalpel will feel like a little tingling sensation or maybe pushing or pulling, mm -hmm. tightening something. 
and um that but it's and it's perfectly normal they this is what they're hearing in their hypnosis sessions it just doesn't feel like pain and they're able to get through the entire surgery and postpartum without medical anesthetics so once i learned that was a thing i went holy cow and i created a childbirth education program and uh put those techniques into it. And that was 22 years ago and the rest is history. So what is HypnoBabies? It's a six week childbirth education program that uses deep somnambulistic hypnosis to create hypnoanesthesia. So people will uh, learn the program for six weeks and that means they read everything. And it's super important to read everything because it's telling you how and why you're using hypnosis and what the techniques are good for. And also all of your childbirth education. And then you're listening to a different track, a different main track every single week that adds more cues and more techniques that basically retrain that subconscious mind, which holds all of our belief systems uh in a in a way that benefits you greatly so the first few classes are very light and then we get into the hypnoanesthesia and then we get into the hypnoanesthesia in the tracks for specific areas of the body so if you're in your birthing which is what we call labor and your back hurts you can direct that hypnoanesthesia to that area or your abdomen or your cervix or down your thighs if that's where the contractions are flowing so, yeah, it's amazing stuff when people learn, practice, and use hypnobabies as directed, and they have to learn it in a fully supported position. So when you're learning hypnobabies and you're practicing these tracks that you're hearing, you have to be fully supported. You have to be laying down or sitting up in a fully supported position with your head back and your eyes closed. And then so we relax your body from head to toe, and then we relax your mind by counting backwards from, you know, a hundred or uh, maybe walking downstairs. There are visualizations of walking downstairs and it basically relaxes your mind from thinking about the things, the stuff, all, you know, your grocery list, all those things. And it's making the critical faculty take a nap, which is the filter between the conscious and subconscious minds. And once that is there, we get down to the the subconscious and we're basically retraining it like, like updating software. And we have to do that every day. We have to put in more software, update more software, update more software every single day until it's time to give birth to the baby. And then all of those techniques and cues they're called anchors, are available and activated during the birthing time different ways. So there are physical cues, like uh, if your birth partner puts his hand on your shoulder or forehead, uh, those are physical cues to help you relax deeper and go deeper into hypnosis. There are mental cues, like the word peace that you can say or 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 say out loud, or just think inside your head. You can also listen to our birthing tracks. And those are like gold because they keep you in hypnosis. They keep you physically deeply relaxed, which is one of the keys to having a more comfortable birthing so that your body's not fighting the contractions. And um, then your cues are activated automatically by these tracks. So you can you can have your birth partner read you birth prompts as well, which are 
just one lines of the different cues and techniques that you've been listening to that you've been at, you know, basically retraining and reprogramming in there. There's many ways that people can use hypno babies. They can get up and walk and talk and move around and eat and drink and go to the bathroom without losing their focus or their hypnotic state, which is amazing. It's called eyes open childbirth hypnosis. And basically only hypno babies has it. So there are many things we put in a track for the birth partner so that the birth partner can stay nice and relaxed. They just listen to it during pregnancy, um, you know, a couple times a week, and then they can stay relaxed about pregnancy and birthing during the pregnancy and also during the childbirth so that they can be more effective and more helpful to the birthing mom. And we have a change of plan script. And that is basically something most people don't hear at all, but it's a track that they can use if anything changes. So say they made their birth plan and the birth plan says, I don't want an IV, but then it becomes necessary to have an IV. Something's happening. They can listen to this track and it basically helps deepen their hypnosis and help them very much go with the flow accept the new change, accept this intervention or, or choice basically is what it is and, and go with it. And that could be anything from having an IV to, you know, uh, having a cesarean section. We've had people listening to it all the way down the, the hall to the ER, you know, so that they're calm, their blood pressure stays low, their veins don't go flat. Um, so we, we've put a lot of different things into hypno babies to help people from, you know, different on different levels uh, with hypnosis, with knowledge, with education, you know, with positional uh, changes that really do help with the descent and position of the baby during the birthing. So that's what it's all about. I wish I'd had you when uh, my kids were born, because that sounds a lot better than what I went through. <laughs> I wish I'd had me when my children were born. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I didn't know any of this. I yeah. didn't know any of it. I had no idea. I, right. I had no idea that because both of my kids were turned around so that their heads were grinding on my spine all the way down. It's called back labor. Mm -hmm. I had no idea that positional changes <laughs> could help that. Right. That there were oh. things you could actually do in the moment that would take that pressure off. So oh. we teach everything. <laughs> How many women do you educate a year, approximately? Uh, I would say probably about 50 to 70,000. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. That's yeah, well, we have... We have hypno babies live classes that you can go to because um, we have hundreds of hypno babies instructors all over the US, a few in Canada, a few in Germany, a few in Australia now. And then we have a home study course. It is uh, being used all over the world. So that's just ordered on our store. It's the same course, it's the same techniques, but you do it at your own pace uh, on your own time. And that is, of course, the most popular one. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So that's awesome. Yeah. I'm curious once a woman has delivered, is she, does she bring herself out of hypnosis or does her partner help her with that? Or is you it, know just what? it will, or? it will happen automatically. 
Um, and she's always in tune with her body and her baby and what's going on. She's actually hyper aware of what's going on around her. Because some people say to me, if I'm going to be in hypnosis, and am I going to be oblivious to all everything and just be inside my head? You can be as in tune with what's going on around you as you would like to be. That's the amazing thing about the mind. You can be hyper aware. So you can be deeply in hypnosis, focused, comfortable, and relaxed, and hear what's happening out in the hall, if you would like. And if not, you can block it out, which is totally cool. So after the baby comes, you will automatically come out of hypnosis. But if you need the hypnosis cues, for instance, once most people don't realize that once the baby's out, that's not all that comes out. You know, the placenta still needs to come out. And so sometimes they will start massaging your uterus or they'll start pulling and all these kind of things. So if they pull, it might hurt a little bit. You can go back into hypnosis, still holding your baby and use that hypnoanesthesia for that area where they're pulling and they shouldn't be pulling. Let me just say that. Okay. So the placenta should be allowed to come down and off the wall of the uterus by itself, which means everybody needs to be patient. Uh, Does that happen? Not at all. Sometimes not. So we do teach our students to tell, you know, their, their medical team that a, we want to, first of all, wait until the baby's cord stops pulsating before we clamp and cut it because all that blood that's in the placenta is now pulsating, pulsating, pulsating through the cord and into the baby. And the baby is getting all the blood it needs. And when the cord goes flat at about 10 minutes after the baby comes, then we can clamp and cut the cord. That is super important. Do people want to wait that length of time? No. However, Ask the doctor about themselves. Tell them to tell you all about their medical journey. They love to talk about themselves and maybe we'll eat up some time before we clamp and cut the cord. And the same thing with waiting for the placenta to come out. It should come off the wall of the uterus by itself and kind of plop down inside the uterus and you will see a lengthening of the cord and then we can guide the placenta out. However, if they pull on the cord on the cord and pull the placenta off the wall of the uterus, I'm not going to get into what can happen. However, if it goes right, great. Use your hypnosis. If it doesn't go right, I'm not going to get into it. <laughs> um, they will have to deal with the medical outcome of that. Uh, so also, you know, afterwards, if they, <laughs> once the placenta is out, they want to take their, their, uh, hands and they want to make them into fists and knead your abdomen so that your uterus tightens up because when it is stimulated from the outside, it'll tighten down. The placental site will get smaller and you will lose less blood. So, through all of that, you can use your, your hypnosis and you will still be able to talk and communicate and love on your baby and all of that stuff. So we got you covered. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Wow. Well, we're getting kind of close to our end of our time here. Um, but I want to end up with a question that we always ask at the end is, could you offer our listeners one 
communication tip that you'd like to offer? Could be anything generic or specific. Yes, absolutely. Here it is. Practice your communication skills. I don't care who you are out there or what it is you need to practice for. Practice in front of a mirror saying the kinds of things that you need to say. Practice even active listening where you imagine yourself listening to the other person and going, mm-hmm, okay, I hear you. And then say to them back, whatever it is that you, and this could be a work thing. It could be a personal thing. If you know something's constantly coming up in your household with the people you live with, it could be any of that stuff, but practice your communication skills ahead of time. And then you will be much more confident when it comes time to use them. Love it. It's great. Practice makes perfect. It's very cliche, but it's true. <laughs> so yep it's it's always funny I always tell my students that the biggest thing you can do no matter what it is in life is practice basically right practicing is always going to help yep brings more confidence yep love it well thank you so much Carrie we appreciate you spending time with us and for sharing your story well thank you for having me I'm always happy to help people have a better life (laughs) (laughs) it's been great we've learned a lot thank you (laughs) 